Hey, welcome to the spotlight. This is a special edition of The Move where we get to highlight some of the work we came across in the process of recording our current season. I hope you enjoy these conversations as much as we did. How you doing, Ayushi? Hey, Caesar. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm doing well. So, uh, who are we spotlighting today? Today, we have on our spotlight Emmett McKinney. Ah, uh, Emmett. He's a first year Masters of City Planning student at MIT and a wonderful human, just a good friend. Yeah, uh, you know, I haven't had him in any class or haven't been able to do any work with him, but always like the hallway conversations with him about his work, <laughs> what he's interested in has been really good. And he's actually such an earnest person. Yes. Really about doing the deep work of democracy. Exactly. So let's hear it from him. So welcome. And you know, we've been going back and forth, hearing from lots of people uh, that they've been listening to the show and some have been inspired by it, and some have been, you know, said, oh, that was really great because it's really connected to my work. So we thought we'd invite some of those folks in and talk about it. And it's not so much about saying, oh, yes, we've heard everything you said and followed your model. That's not what we mean. But it's just that, you know, it's by listening to the show, it made people think about their work in a different way, engage, you know, in something a little bit differently, uh, or, you know, they have a perspective on it that can really deepen not only our understanding, but the listeners also. Yeah. And we've gotten feedback that, you know, a lot of this work is really about the community aspect of it, right? It's how you re-look at the people you work with and the way that you speak to them, the way you hold space for them, et cetera. And I personally was just very touched by your reflections of the season, which is why I'm so happy you're here. And we figured that there's so many people in the shoes that you're in, whether it's by being a student, whether it's working on the issues that you work on, the way that you think, being from California, um, (laughs) and, uh, you know, I think the perspective that you might be able to offer, like the ways that your style of looking at things or approaching your work changed by hearing that first kind of work that we put together Mm -hmm. is something that we would love to be able to share with the rest of our, you know, growing community. Yeah, awesome. So when I listened to this season for the first time a few episodes especially stuck out to me and one was with curtis ogden Mm. and talking about networks and and the way people relate to each other Um, my background is in environmental law and policy work and um, sustainability broadly defined and so the the visual that he used of um, thinking about a root system in soils and pulling up a plant and then realizing it how complex it is really stuck out to me. I sort of understood that in a a tactile way. And that framing of what is a network and what are we as planners and concerned citizens supposed to to do with them is really interesting. Um, I, I think that we tend to have an idea in our mind about what the problem is. Mm. And we go and access a network to try to understand what capacity is there and try to understand how we might be able to solve that problem. And I think that's a really effective way of working, but it it jumps the gun. And a more exciting way to work for me is just sort of stepping back and asking, like, what is? I I think Curtis said, like, you don't have to build these networks. They already are. And I just like, 
<laughs> like blew my mind um, in part because it's so intuitive like of course yes. anybody who has ever like pulled up a plant in a garden or like thought about how people related to each other understands that people work together but it's a real challenge to operationalize that ethic mm. and one of the really cool thing about the design principles is it breaks it into sort of manageable pieces and allows people to map on their like, intuition mm. to an actual approach to carrying out whatever project it is. And it, it gives them a, um, a vocabulary for it. Yeah. So I'm just interested in something you, you said, you know, about Curtis saying that, you know, you don't have to build these things, they just are and everything. Mm. So how does that, like, you know, from places you've been working in, stuff you've done, how does that, how did that manifest? I mean, how do you see that? Sure, yeah. Um, so one of the big projects that I worked on prior to coming to MIT was um, the Nashville Food Waste Initiative. Mm-hmm. Mm. This is a joint project really led by the Natural Resources Defense Council um, with support from an organization that I worked with, the Environmental Law Institute. Um, which is effectively community organizing work. It seeks to um, help institutions like hotels, restaurants, cafeterias, cafes, as well as households, city government, all work together to keep food out of landfills, Mm. um, be it by preventing surplus food generation in the first place, um, donating the extra food that does get prepared to people who can use it and composting what's left. And I really zeroed in on that middle part of getting the extra prepared food to people who need it. And we zeroed in specifically on prepared food. So the type of thing like at a wedding or after Mm. some big event where there's two or three trays of like steamed vegetables or meatloaf or mac and cheese or whatever it is, which is really good, nutritious food. And if you've ever had a party and been like, ah, I just don't really know what to do with this, but someone can use it, but I don't know where to take it. It's that problem that we that we were going afterward. Um, so I w- had the privilege to go down to Nashville and speak to all the last mile organizations. What's it? So these are yeah. folks who are covering the last mile, say, between a food bank and the restaurant and the actual person in need. And it's that last little linkage. So we are getting very wow. specific. Um, and this tied together a lot of my interests um, and a lot of the principles. One is obviously designing for sustainability, making sure there's no waste. Yep. But it also had a lot to do with innovating from the margins, right? And really going down to the smallest actor yeah. and understanding and benefiting from their knowledge about how the food system worked. So I met with folks who would organize meals on a, a few nights a week in church basements. I would meet with chefs and restaurants and institutions and ask, what are all the challenges that you face in moving this food from one place to the next? And it was so much more complex than I even understood it to be. Mm. You don't just like wrap it up and hand it off to somebody. You got to make sure you have a driver available at the right time, that that driver knows how to handle the food, that you can find a nonprofit who's even interested in the kind of food that you mm. want, and so on and so wow. forth, right? that they have enough space in their fridge. And just sort of peeling back all these layers to what is an intuitively solvable issue <laughs> made me think a lot more about like the problems that we see and realize in society have so many more layers to them and we would be well served to just step back and ask like how is this working yeah what is the network that already is mm-hmm. uh, and specifically yeah. we talked to a lot of nonprofits who explained like you know don't give me any more bread we have too much bread and they have a really good sense for who the other nonprofits are working in that area, as well as the relevant businesses. And there's an incredible amount of institutional knowledge, right? Yeah. And especially in the sort of policy world, we talk about capacity building, but that's that's not really what we need. Like I like to think more about activating that, the network that's already there. Mm. Um, and it touches on a few other design principles too, but I'll, I can kind of stop there. 
This wow. last mile is what you a, a last mile organization. A or, last mile or an organization. LMO. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's the same issue that comes up around kind of technology deployment and stuff like that. Particularly, right, how do you connect the last mile? That's where it kind of yeah. actually kind of came from. And all these either through transportation networks, information networks, and basically what you're saying, well, you know, there are these human networks, right, where there's a last mile effort and the connection there, really. If you can make that connection, it's, it really does serve so many more people, and particularly people at the margins. Right. And the interesting thing about food waste is Silicon Valley is all over this. There are tons of apps out there that think about themselves as like an Uber for extra food, and they think that you can just call somebody to come pick it up and drive it. And this was tried in Nashville, and it's, it's been deployed in a lot of other cities. And the first time an app came to Nashville, it had some success. It got a few people on board, but sort of fizzled out before it can make the huge effect that it was really looking for. And so another principle that the, that the podcast really cued off for me was engaging in analog versus digital. Some folks we spoke to, like restaurants, were really interested in having an app that they could just call somebody at the end of the day and not have to develop a personal relationship or when they're trying to close up shop and go home, yeah. not have to deal with some driver, right? But other folks really wanted to know, like if they're going to open up their back door into their kitchen, they want to know which individual is going to come in there mm. every single time. And it wasn't until I had done, I think, like 18 or 19 interviews that I finally got the one-liner that just explained everything to me. This, um, this restaurateur says, Nashville is a relationship-based town. Mm. And that just rang for me because <laughs> it, it reframed this whole idea that everybody there understands how to handle food. That's, that's not where the breakdown is. The breakdown is in getting people connected in a way that feels right to mm. them. And you can deploy an app in some cities and cult- and culturally that just really takes root and it, it's perfect. Nashville, um, at least at the time that I was there, wasn't quite ready for that yet. Um, and that's okay. Like, that's great. And I found that I actually had to do a lot less uh, like hand-holding than I was expecting to. <laughs> I thought I was going to have to really work hard to connect folks. And I could basically just send one email to a nonprofit and a restaurant and say, hey, your schedules match up nicely and your needs match up nicely. And they were just off to the races. So it was that wow. idea of activating the network that's already there, um, which was really exciting to me and has sort of, and listening to the podcast has given me some contour about that experience mm. that I already had. I love that idea of like, um, instead of, capacity building, sort of connecting the existing networks that are working in that space. Mm-hmm. And I just think that's so fascinating because like there's such a movement around like there's an app for that. We're just going to build a tech front end, mm-hmm. get some great UX designers and call it a day. Um, but that really undermines the nature of how much of this work is just relationship focused or trust focused right. and trust dependent. And I'm wondering, well, I'm wondering if in your work in Tennessee, you had, or in Nashville, you had this experience with like connecting networks analog, in an analog fashion that like worked for you. Mm. Like how do you, right? Like how do you connect last mile organizations with the people in need in an analog form? What does that even look like? Um, Good question. (laughs) That is a good question. Because like if there's not an app for it, What's the alternative? Right. Um, so I, I should give credit where credit is due also to the co-authors and real real visionaries of this report who are Linda Bregan um, at ELI and Joanne Birkenkamp at the Natural Resources Defense Council. And um, 
one of the cool things that NFWI does, the Food Waste Initiative, is bring people together and just getting them all in the same room, mm-hmm. right? And um, after we did this research, the landscape analysis, we brought in all of the same folks that we interviewed and all the restaurateurs and made a really diverse room, again, in terms of stature. So we had city officials, activists, experts, academics, and all of the people who were actually physically holding the trays to get it to the people in need. And wow. we we presented that same research and asked, you know, does this land for you? Does does this reflect what you told us? And is this helpful to you? And on the one hand, that was good for us to sharpen our research and, and have some confirmation. But I think the real value of that was getting all those people in the room. It was mm. the secondary benefit of people looking around and saying, hey, there are actually a lot of folks around here who are keyed into this issue and who understand and get it. And if we can just overcome sort of the logistical needs, like the mundane things like what size packaging do we need so that I can store it in my kitchen and it can fit in your trunk and so on and so on. That, I think, really created a lot of momentum Mm -hmm. there. And I I also realized that something, again, as simple as helping people engage analog is not easy. Like the the (laughs) amount of logistical work that it takes just to get everybody in the same room room (laughs) is a lot. So I, I think we should really pay attention to this as an area that requires expertise and innovation the same way that we talk about digitizing yeah. relationships. Yeah. yeah that's really, that's, I, I like that point, you know, that there's really, there needs to be investment, right, in these kind of analog networks, you mm-hmm. know, what it takes for people to come together. We, we're not very good at that. You know, it's a, it's a place mm-hmm. where we don't do a lot. And I'm, I'm just thinking about, well, what would that look like, right? I mean, you, can you have, you know, incubators for, uh, Creating new analog methods for people. More to come co-working together. spaces. Oh, right no, in the no, solution. not more co-working yeah. spaces. <laughs> uh, so I, I wanted to pose that question back to you: Is what does engaging an analog look like mm. for areas that are substantively highly technical? Like one of the really cool things about food is that everybody just gets it. Right. I can say like tray mac and cheese. Everyone like pictures that. Mm. Right. But when. Like how when you foster that collaboration around like making our transportation network more efficient or streamlining flows of information within city governments, things that are mm-hmm. vital to our communities working together, how do you create that space in a more sort of like I don't, I don't even have the vocabulary yeah. for it, a high tech environment? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I think like that's sort of this amazing, great question, like an amazing meta question, also for the work that we're trying to do here, right? Like in a lot of ways, I think the whole idea behind the set design framework is to rethink the way in which we take government's structures for granted, Mm. right? And like rethink the ways in which governance currently does or does not engage with its communities that it's responsible for. And it's so hard to your point to create a community. I mean, we're trying. (laughs) <laughs> Hopefully it's kind of working. You're in the room, so it's kind of working. Kind of working. But, you know, like, it's hard to get people to mobilize in an analog fashion around these sorts of either maybe invisible or information-based sort of structural issues. Mm-hmm. I mean, the same thing goes with climate change, right? It's just like the time duration there is so hard to understand, not to mention it's so hard to, to visualize. Mm that like it's so hard to mobilize people around these kinds of issues and one of our hopes is like to kind of tap into the medium of conversation of analog conversation us sitting here face to face and making that 
accessible at some level in like a broader capacity. But ultimately, yeah, we want you, we want our other guests to like be in the same room and all be these kinds of like design thinkers that are rethinking the way in which we do solve like whether it's food waste problems or, you know, whatnot. Right. Yeah. So I love that whole idea of focusing on the medium through which we engage. Yeah. Hearing the podcast and thinking like, oh, those are two people that I know and I can literally go down the hall and say, I want to be part of that conversation. Right. Like I had an amazing privilege to be part of that by literally being in the same building sure. and being able to do that. But I think that same excitement that generates in people that says like, oh, I know people right. like that. And they're engaged, like they're really smart and they're engaging in a way that I know how to engage yeah. is really cool. Um, I think it's good also that you brought up climate change. Uh, this is something that, that keeps me up at night and that has sort of like guided my interests to this point about just like the sheer scale and complexity of it. I mean, on the one hand, it takes um, like decades to unfold, right? It has been centuries in the making. And so there's sort of this despair that comes with it. Mm. But I often have a hard time sort of working within the climate space because it manifests in food, in water, in transportation, in housing, in in just about every other field. And so as a guiding metric, it, it isn't really all that good. So I'm constantly searching for like the right place to like latch on and get some traction and apply the things that I know about and I'm excited about and have an intuition for. Mm-hmm. And to the extent that we can create dialogues that allow people to engage with things that really matter to climate change without branding them of saying like you have to be a climate scientist mm-hmm. or even an environmentalist to be welcome into the mm-hmm. space is really really important that, that's a you know this this issue of branding is, is is interesting because we do that so much with the public <laughs> i just wrote that time. down i literally just wrote know, in all caps branding branding yeah because that's what we do to people you know you're a republican you're a democrat you're yeah. this you're that yeah. you're anti this you're for that yeah. and you know in our work we really think it's absolutely necessary to figure out how to break out of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, one tool we've been using and some other work I've been involved in is this thing about what we call these kind of question campaigns mm-hmm. where you kind of enter a conversation with people not by, you know, asking them what they think about something or what they think the solution is, but basically just asking them, you know, what their question is about it. You know, we've done this around kind of like domestic violence, around transportation, around a number of issues. And the fascinating thing about it is, you know, by virtue of being, people have questions, mm-hmm. right? And we don't often pay attention to or create the space for people to raise the questions on their mind, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. To say like, oh, well, this is the question I have. You know, of course you have to frame the larger one. So like in transportation, it, when we did in Boston, it was like, you know, what's your question about the future of mobility in Boston? Well, you know, the funny thing about that you know, we had, you know, everything from seven-year-old kids to 90-year-old mm-hmm. person had questions about that. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as you do that and you just do the next step, which is say, well, let's get some people who have similar questions in the room together. People find themselves mm-hmm. with in the spaces with people they never thought they'd be in a relationship with, mm-hmm. right? Because... You know, the, the questions are about these kinds of sets of experiences that are out there, and we share them. But the branding mm. kind of gets in our way from seeing the extent to which we share them. Yeah. Oh, and, man. And so we need these techniques to kind of like yeah. kind of like push through that because 
and everything's organized around it, right? You know, the media is organized around it. It's just like Our education systems organized educa- around it. Yeah, well, because order is helpful, right? I mean, is that what it is? Let me finish. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that, that came off sounding very authoritarian. And that's not how I'm. Very technocratic, if you have it. I know. Um, I, so uh, I 100% agree with the whole idea that leading with an open-ended question or just asking like what is your question mm. is the really exciting thing like that brought me to urban planning school because i thought i'm interested in climate change but before i can like sling around words like sustainability or resilience with any sense of, of tangibility or credibility or like feeling like i'm standing on firm ground like before i can do that i need to know what matters to people mm. every day whether they understand it as climate related or not and then once we really understand that then we can talk about it, but let's not put the cart before the horse. And the sort of underlying idea in this is what do we need to do in order to create a more just society that like realizes the ideal society that we want? Mm-hmm. And I think that people's tendency to bucket things and organize them comes from that same impulse of how do we get from here to there? This issue is urgent. We need to figure out what the move is. So let's not worry too much about like the details. Like we need to be mission aligned. Mm-hmm. And I think reconciling those two impulses, right, of just mm. crowdsourcing the question of importance to trying to just like drive an issue home that you have already decided matters, I think is is really interesting and challenging. But leading with that open-ended question, I think, is is really important. Wow, that is perhaps the best critique I've ever heard of the mission-driven, quote unquote, framing for so many companies that are trying to do good in these various spaces. like. Like you said, what if, I mean, both of you are talking about this, right? Like, what if instead of being driven based on your mission, you were driven based on the questions that people were asking, right? Mm-hmm. Or you were driven based on what you've heard, mm-hmm. just like being a good listener in the space. Like, I've never actually considered, I mean, what you were saying earlier, Caesar, in, I mean, labels are so limiting, right? Like, the branding that we have is so limiting. And the fact that we're branded based on these sort of either phenotypical or communitarian like labels that we were given external to our own choosing often. And instead of having communities based on labels, if we were grouped based on the questions that we had, Mm -hmm. the concept of polarization, if it were still to be a concept, would be just so different. You know, I had some years ago, I had this idea about uh, freshman orientation at Mm. MIT. Mm. And the idea would be, before students came, they actually submitted the questions they were most interested in, Mm. right? Wow. And basically, the prompt would be, you know, what's what's the question you think is most important in front of the world? And you'd have to submit three of those. And then when your questions come in, it does a couple of things. We, during orientation, you get to connect with people who have the same question. And in those events, what you're doing is sharing what in your life experience led you to that question. Mm -hmm. So you can see how it actually goes differently. But then on the other end, you attach all that to a kind of a database of information and resources and people at MIT. So you can say like, and if you're really interested in this question also, you can go talk to this person or connect with this research project because it is already starting to move on the thing that you're interested in. So instead of a kind of let's navigate, you know, figure yeah. out your way through this place, you could actually clearly map, you know, the kind of questions that people have that are driving them 
to really the set of things yeah. that, that they are, that are here in relationships that are here. I would much rather be brand, like the word branding is already so weird, but I'd much rather have to answer to or be held accountable to the questions I have mm. than where I was born or the color of my skin, right? Yeah. Like that would just sounds so much cooler. <laughs> I love that yeah. world. It's yeah. the world I want. <laughs> and the, the sort of personal existential crisis I've been having over the past, you know, two to three weeks is like... That you were saying two, three decades. Yeah. Two, three decades, right. No, but over two to three weeks is like, what kind of like guy am I going to be? Like, am I going to be a housing guy or a climate mm. guy? Like sort of constrained by the amount of time that we have to like get a degree in this or that. Mm. I've already been sort of grappling with what things are things that I should let go and what that are not. And I would much rather be able to just say like the thing that I'm really worried about in society is that we sacrifice individual needs for collectible ones. Mm. <laughs> And this plays out in climate for me because, again, we create these interventions that are dubbed sustainable, right? Like we're going to put a train here instead of houses so that more people can ride the train instead of the car. Mm. That's sustainable, fewer carbon emissions. But the people who live in those houses don't find that very sustainable, <laughs> right? <laughs> and I, I think it's a reality of living in a democracy and living in a resource-constrained world that for every intervention, there are going to be people who benefit and people who don't. And Oof. I mean, th this isn't a, a new idea, but I think that when thinking about how we deploy our public resources, our time, our energy, having a clear like, guiding principle for how we reconcile the, the needs of the minority over the majority is, is something that interests me a lot. So I have one. I know you're doing, you know, you're here. I'm here. You're going to be leaving <laughs> at some point in time. Coming here, as you said, struggling. What kind of guy are you going to be? Housing guy. Maybe. <laughs> climate guy. Who knows what it is. Uh, but as you, as you kind of like look out, you know, uh, not just, you know, way far in the future, but I'm kind of curious in terms of just even the things that you're doing now, you know, either classwork or the mm -hmm. projects or things that were close by in the past. Uh, how are you seeing your own personal journey, mm -hmm. right, in relationship to this broader social journey? You've talked, we've been talking about the social journey, right, mm -hmm. about society and democracy. So how does your own personal journey connect up with that? You know, where are the tensions? Where are the... Yeah. Where's the flow? Where's the tension? Yeah. Well, it's a hard question. So the personal journey for me has been in benchmarking progress. Um, and I think a uniquely challenging thing about coming to Cambridge, um, both MIT and Tufts and Harvard, and the sort of community around here that is, again, sort of branded as a paragon of like excellence and innovation and breakthroughs like that's all very exciting and i think it makes it really challenging to show up and say here are the skills that i have and here are the ones that i want to gain and then learning how to benchmark yourself against people who are already expert in that issue or in that skill that you want to gain um, and so my personal journey has been finding progress and incremental gain and being able to establish myself in the new space and say, like, I understand something different about this field, be it data analysis or programming or transportation or, or, or whatever it is. Like, 
I've established myself in this space and that's really valuable. And now I can stand on the same ground as people who are expert in this and know what people are talking about when they describe some like new web data visualization interface or they talk about a design process. Um, so I think having the basic vocabulary and the confidence to exist in a space um, and then also creating the self-awareness to know what skills and capabilities you bring and delight in the like synergy of all of those things rather than in your own capability mm. to do all of them, mm. I, I think is uh, is has been my big journey. I love that enjoying delight in this in like the connection of various things as opposed to aspiring to like single handedly fulfill yeah the world yeah like dreams everybody wants to run bad and hit right like, <laughs> like everybody wants to be that MVP that all around right. um, and we put a premium on that and and some people do that and that's great um, but also if we're interested in social and collective action it requires each of us to be just one part of this big collective yeah and and cool with deferring to other people's mm. expertise on things and valuing the expertise of people who don't usually get like stamped experts mm. right like people who carry around trays of mac and cheese like they, right. they know mm -hmm. really critical information that i didn't have even though i had ostensibly studied like waste management mm. and urban sustainability from a university perspective right and it's it's sort of you know widening that arena and and delighting in holding that place in it that's that's really exciting and I really appreciate you coming in today. I love that. Thank and, you so much for being here. Yeah, Thanks I love this ending me. piece too. You know, because I think you're right. You know, we've got to we've got to be able to to honor and recognize you know the knowledge of everyone along the spectrum, right? Right. From the person who thinks and designs some of these systems to, as you said, the person who's carrying the mac and cheese. Right. right. Yeah, I love that. And we, you know, I think in one of our things we talked about early on in our show. Uh, last season was this whole thing about designing for the margins. And one of the things that's in that notion is that we really can't come up with solutions or approaches to problems that are going to lead us to more equitable and just outcomes if we are not also able at the same time to make sure folks who are at the margins of society and the knowledge and experience they have from their own lived experience is included in part of thinking about what the problem is, mm -hmm. and how to approach it. Thank you so much for listening to our Spotlight episode today with Emmett McKinney. And uh, stay tuned for season two, which will be coming up in the next couple of weeks. We're a production of the Department of Urban Studies and Planning at MIT with support from MIT's Office of Open Learning. Our sound is produced by Dave Lashansky. Our content by Julia Cubrera and Misael Galdemez. I'm Ayushi Roy. I'm Susan McDowell. And you can find us online at themove.mit.edu. And on our Medium site at medium.com forward slash themovemit, as well as our Twitter and Facebook. Thanks so much. Goodbye.